Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, it's good to see you again this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Meet me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're turning the corner, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' favorite sermon in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And we are turning the corner in verses 1 through 5, 1 through 6 of Matthew chapter 7. As you're turning there, I want you to think back and think on this. How many of you have a favorite TV series that you can recall? Maybe it's one of nostalgia that you remember from your childhood. Maybe it's one you're currently watching. But how many of you would say, okay, I've got one TV series that I have just absolutely loved. I could watch it over and over and over again. A few of you. I know if you were, if you were born during past the 1980, then friends, you've got to raise your hand for friends. Yeah? A few of you? Good. Awesome. Well, for whatever reason, Jordan and I, our favorite TV series always has something to do with the law. I don't know what that says about us. I don't know if we're just interested. I don't know what it is. But our favorite TV series shows, it, it kind of follows this, the life of two young, powerful attorneys in New York City as they're kind of taking on the city, you know, li- living and, and working for one of the more influential and powerful uh, law firms in, the, in New York City, and so it's super fun, and as you can imagine, much of that is in the courtroom. Now, forgive my ignorance here, okay, because, well, I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, uh, but I started thinking, I was like, you know, what is the purpose of a judge? What does a judge actually do? So I did what everybody does. I got on the Google and I googled, what is a judge, and what does a judge do? And it brought me to this governmental website, and so then I looked that up, and here's what I learned. In summary, this is what a judge actually does. A judge is one who sits over the people, sits above the people, right? He is a person who, he or she is a person who is an expert in the law, who maintains control in a courtroom, and based on Uh, evidence presented has the power to declare innocent or guilty. That's a judge. That's what a judge does this morning, or that's what a judge does. Now, this morning, while that's practical for you and me, is that what you're going to find as we open up the text this morning is that Jesus assumes that you and I oftentimes play the role of a judge in our lives. What we're talking about this morning is the idea of judgment, or maybe judgmentalism. And what Jesus is assuming here is that all too often you and I pretend as though we are experts in the law. We're experts in life, aren't we? We sit above other people. We seek to maintain control of our surroundings and maybe maintain control over others. And based on evidence presented, whether that's appearance, whether that's past actions, whether decisions or whatever that may be, we make a ruling over them. And so what Jesus is going to say this morning is, number one, hey, I have a huge problem with that. 
I have a huge problem with that. You're going to see this morning that he is going to say that our judgmentalism is hypocrisy. So we're going to see that. But more importantly, what I hope that we see is how Jesus transforms our judgmental attitudes and minds into something far greater, far deeper, and far more meaningful. In fact, my prayer, and has been all week as I've been wrestling through this, is that God would drastically transform us as First Baptist Belt and that we would be a people not known for our judgment, but for our mercy. Not our judgment, but our mercy. And I'm going to tell you how Jesus transforms that this morning through this text. So if you have a Bible, again, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking, okay? This is Jesus preaching the sermon. In verse 1, he says this. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Verse 5, he says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So what you're going to see this morning is that I think Jesus has three incredibly important things that you need to see from this text, okay? Three incredibly important things. The first one that I want you to see is that Jesus warns us of our judgment. He provides us a warning for our judgment. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, he says, do not be a judge. That's not your place. It's not your right. You have no ground for standing on the law that you think you're an expert in, or on life that you think you're an expert in. He says, do not be a judge. And then Jesus does kind of a fun thing. It's kind of interesting. Jesus kind of turns the tide here a little bit. Maybe you've heard the phrase, what goes around comes around. You heard of that? You've experienced that? Yep, I've experienced that. It's kind of what Jesus says here. He literally tells them, he says, hey, do not be a judge, for if you choose to be a judge, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come right back at you. And here's the deal. We know this to be true, don't we? We know this to be true. I, I want you to think back on a time, somebody who maybe unfairly judged you. Think about that time. You just felt, man, that, I just feel like I'm being judged here. I want you to think about that time. What did you immediately do? You said something like, well, who does this person think that they are? And then what did you do? Think about it. You took a magnifying glass to their life, didn't you? (laughs) Of course you did. We all do that, right? That's our natural position. When somebody judges us, what do we do? We judge them right back. Only what we do is we take a magnifying glass to their life, and we look even deeper that's exactly what Jesus says. He, he literally says, For the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So the standard of judgment that you use in judging others will be the same standard they will use in judging you. What goes around comes around. A couple years ago, this is kind of funny, a couple years ago, I was out of town on D-Now Weekend. If you know what D-Now Weekend is, 
you ought to know you never go out of town on D-Now weekend. Here's the reason why. Because our former youth pastor, Brad, decided, you know what, this would be a great opportunity to prank Logan's house. And I'm going to use our entire youth ministry to do it. But see, what Brad didn't know, what Brad didn't know is that somebody was staying at our house. And so while he's doing this whole prank thing and putting forks all in our yard, and there were forks in our roof, youth, y'all ought to be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> like, who does that? But she's videoing all that's happening. Like, she gets it all on video, so she sends it back to us. And so Jordan and I decided, you know what, we're going to take the higher ground. So we came back home early to make sure that we pranked them before the Sunday of D-Now. We took the high ground. And so here's what we did. We came home. We went and bought a thousand cups, styrofoam cups, and we filled those babies to the brim of water. And man, we put those in the entryway of the youth room so that when they came up, they couldn't get in the youth room. They'd have to take every cup down and pour it in there. I'm telling you, don't play with me. What goes around comes around. That's Jesus's point. When you judge somebody, here's what you need to be ready for. You need to be ready for them to come right back at you with a magnifying glass. To choose to be a judge over someone else is to choose to be exposed for who you really are. It's to literally choose to have somebody take a microscope at your life. That doesn't sound like much fun. But that's what Jesus says when we make a habit of judging people. So Jesus says, hey, don't be a judge. Number two, what Jesus helps us do, he exposes the why of our judgment. He exposes the why of our judgment. I don't know about you, but growing up, and, and, and I don't know why this is the case, but I have always struggled with judgment. I just have. I, I couldn't tell you why. I don't, I've prayed that God would transform that. My whole life I've been dealing with this whole thing of judgment. So you can imagine all week I've been dealing with a lot of stuff. Which is why I get to share it with you so you get to deal with it this week. I've always struggled with it and I've always asked the question, Lord, why is it that I struggle with this? Like, why can't I get past it? Well, that's the exact same question that Jesus asked in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? The question that Jesus is asking is really simple. For goodness sakes, why in the world do you judge your brothers and your sisters? Why do you judge people? Why in the world are you so quick to look at the failures and the mistakes of others and then to gloss over your own? So that's the question I've been asking. Lord, why? Why do we do this? You know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is because it feels good. It feels good. And the reason why it feels good is because if I can ignore my mistakes and my failures and I can highlight someone else's, guess what that does? Well, that makes me look a whole lot better than everybody else, doesn't it? 
See, when I can gloss over somebody else's failures and mistakes and sins, what happens is, is all of a sudden, man, I, I look pretty good. I look pretty good before others, and I look pretty good before God. But see, here's the truth of the matter. When we judge, when we buy this, this lie, we talked about buying lies last week. We're going to talk about buying lies again today. When we buy this lie, glossing over my sin, highlighting others, we're buying this lie that we're believing that, number one, that they do not know what our junk is, that they don't know what our sin is, that they don't know what our mistakes are. But as we talked about, they've got a magnifying glass on you. They know everything about you. But even more so, it's to buy the lie that you can pretend before God that you can somehow perform before God. It's to buy the lie that the omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing God doesn't know you for exactly who you are. But here's the reality, and you got to hear this this morning. God is not some distant, far-off theory. He is a God who knows you far better than you could ever know yourself. That 1% that you're trying to hide from everybody and him too, that 1%, he knows it. That one thing that you know that's deep down in there, that one thing that you're trying to hide from everybody else, he knows all of it. You need to know this morning that you and I stand equally exposed before God. Just like Adam and Eve post-fall, you and, all, you and I all stand completely naked and exposed at our most, most vulnerable point before him. And let me tell you, that is an incredibly terrifying place to be exposed, vulnerable. But hear me, because this is incredibly important too. Not only is it incredibly terrifying to stand exposed before God, but it's also a beautiful gift. It's a great thing. It's a very, very, very good thing. See, Josh, last week he read uh, some of the most beautiful verses over us, and in, in, in I, I would argue in the Bible, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what, here's what Paul writes. This is incredibly important. Some of you have it memorized, and if you don't, you should. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is why it is a good thing to be exposed before God. Because notice what the text says. It says, while we were still sinners. It wasn't when we had it all together. It was at our worst. And our greatest of mistakes it was right then and there that God came to this earth in the person and work of Jesus, went to the cross for you and for me so that I am no longer, no longer standing in my filth and my rags, no longer am I standing in my past decisions and my past sins or even current sins, but rather because of Jesus, I now can stand not again in my filth and rags, but I stand in the righteousness and the perfection of God. Christ Jesus. So to be fully exposed and yet to be completely loved is an incredibly good thing that you won't find anywhere else. 
You won't find it in how much money you make. You won't find it in how big your house is or how good your grades are or how many girls you have or you don't have. You will not find that apart from the saving work of Jesus. To be fully exposed, for him to know everything about you, all of your secrets, and yet to give you his son to the point where his son would go to a Roman cross for you be completely exposed on that cross to be beaten, whipped, torn into pieces all so that you would know his love. Wow. That's the mercy that you and I have. That's the mercy that's extended to us and if that's the mercy that you have this morning then tell me How then can you believe that to be true and then judge someone else? Listen, you got to hear this this morning. All judgment dies at the foot of the cross. All of it. You want to know why? Because the cross is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. It doesn't matter whether you have tattoos or you don't have tattoos. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, what class you're in. It doesn't matter. You all, we all stand equally exposed before the cross. Where Christ says, fully exposed and yet fully loved. And so for us to then believe that to be true and then judge anyone for anything, Jesus says, One word, hypocrisy. He says that is hypocrisy. To judge someone else is a failure to understand your wretched position before God. It's to misunderstand the grace and the mercy that's extended to you. Jesus says it is hypocrisy. We've talked about this at length over this course of the sermon series, but to be a hypocrite is to be an actor. It's to play a role. It's to pretend that you are something that you are not. But Jesus here, he goes after the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is, is that to believe that Jesus came to this earth, gave his life for you, gave his life for me, and there was nothing that you could do to earn it at your worst And then to turn around and not offer the same is hypocrisy. But here's the grace. The grace is it's there in that truth where our judgment is transformed into something far greater, far better. In fact, Jesus transforms our judgment. That's the point number three in two particular areas. There are two ways, kind of two implications, two sides of the same coin, so to speak, of how Jesus transforms our judgment. The first is this. Our job is not to judge people outside of the family of God. The church has spent far too much energy, far too much time judging people outside of the family of God, outside of our Christian brothers and sisters. That's not our job. In fact, Paul would actually say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, he says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders, unbelievers? It's God who judges them, not me. And by the way, it is a far greater responsibility for them, for God to judge them, than for you to judge them. The idea that only God can judge me is a terrifying thing. 
And yet, at the same time, it is God's role, not ours, to judge them. That's not our role. That's not our job. As a matter of fact, the church has far too much stuff on the inside to deal with. We, we don't need any more help. We've got our own stuff. So why in the world do we try to build the barn instead of maintaining the house? We've got to be a people who deal with us, not them. We let God deal with them. That's the point. That's what Paul is saying. Now, the other side of that coin is found in verse 5. Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Other translations help us with this, and it says this, we'll take our log out of our own eye, then, and then you will see clearly to help your brother take the speck out of his eye. Let's deal with us, and then once we've dealt with us, once we're experiencing transformation, God opens our eyes and then helps us to engage with one another. Oddly enough, it seems like Jesus says, hey, listen, do not be a, a judge. Don't, he warns us, don't be a judge, but then he kind of invites us back into it. But there's a huge difference, and this is where Jesus puts our judgment in its place. See, Jesus transforms our judgment in that rather than us being people who judge from an unmerited position, he calls us into what I would consider loving accountability. It's loving accountability, and I want you to hear this because this is important too. Loving accountability is understanding your position before God. It's understanding my position before God. Understanding that you and I all, we all need transformation, that we have all fallen short, and so we all stand before God as people who have fallen short. Understanding that, that we need transformation. And then it's me looking at you and saying, hey, you know what? Let's link arms together and let's pursue Christ together. It's not a, hey, let me show you all your failures and all your mistakes so that I look better, th uh, uh, better than th in myself. But rather, it's, I'm going to let myself die here so that I can help my brothers and sisters pursue Christ alongside of me. You see the difference? The key is the motivation. Am I judging someone so that I make myself look better? Or am I stepping into their life, recognizing who I am and the mercy that's been given to me, recognizing that they need mercy, and we link arms and say, hey, we're going to go after this together. We're going to pursue Christ-likeness. We're going to pursue holiness. We're going to pursue godliness together. Listen, there is nothing like that on the face of the planet. You will not find that outside of the Christian family. Sure, there's community outside of the family of God, absolutely. But there is nothing so transformative than when two brothers or two sisters come together for the same goal, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and pursue it together. It's called Christian discipleship. What Jesus is calling us into is away from being a judgmental person and toward a life of discipleship, where we are all recognizing who we are before the cross needing transformation, and we link arms together, focused in on what he longs for us to be and to do, and say, you know what, let's go after it together. Let's go after it together. Accountability is a good thing, 
when it is done rightly, it is a great gift. Accountability is a good thing. And when it is done rightly, it is a great gift. In fact, there's nothing like it outside of the family of God. Jesus says that in verse 6. He says, do not give to dogs what is holy. Holy means set apart. So don't give, to God, don't give to dogs what is holy, what is set apart. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, Jesus uses some pretty graphic language here. So, if you've ever thought, man, Logan sure is direct. I will tell you, I don't hold a candle to Jesus. Here, Jesus uses the illustrations of dogs and pigs to, to, to inform us of, of uncleanness, unholiness. When he's using these phrases, what he's doing is he is drawing a distinct line between believers and unbelievers. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus is not calling unbelievers dogs or pigs. He's using this as an illustration to remind us that they are unholy, they are unclean, and what they need most is not our judgment, but God's redemption. He's drawn that distinct line for you and for me to be able to see, hey, there's a difference between believers and unbelievers, and oh, by the way, such were some of you that prior to Christ, you stood in their place, unclean, unholy, but in Christ, you have been washed, you have been cleansed, you now stand in the righteousness of Christ, so you no longer stand in the place uh, of your sin and of, of your failures and your past and present mistakes, but rather you stand in the righteousness of Christ. It's to help us see that unbelievers, their greatest need, again, is not our judgment, their greatest sin is not their mistakes, it's not their decisions, it's not their appearance. Their greatest sin is that they are in rebellion against God and that they are desperately in need of his mercy. So again, Jesus is drawing the line in the sand and he says, listen, what these folks need more than anything is your mercy because it will be the mercy demonstrated from, the, from a heart of the gospel that invites them into the family of God. I've never heard the story of someone who came to know Jesus by our judgment. But I will tell you, I have heard story after story after story of people who have came to know Jesus because of the mercy that was extended to them in a time of need. So Jesus says, don't give to dogs, don't give to pigs what is holy. He's talking about the message of the cross. And he's talking about the way of the cross. He's, again, drawing that line in the sand and saying, listen, on this side of the sand, they cannot understand the joy of linking arms with someone and pursuing Christ together because they don't have the spirit. They've not been born again. They don't get that, and so even our best attempts, more often than not, will be discerned as judgment. And so what Jesus is saying here, what he's helping us understand is he's building a theology of mercy. 
He's helping us see that if we want to live in the world, but not be of the world, then we must be a people who live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Understanding the message that we have received, that it was Jesus and Jesus alone, His work on the cross, that gave us our unmerited favor so that we could extend His unwavering grace to them, to invite them in, to become part of the family. So this morning, if you're in the room and you're like, man, I'm on that side of the line. Listen, I want you to know that God's grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. His mercy is offered to you even this morning. All you have to do is say, man, I just, I want that. I want that. And for us on this side of the line, listen, there is no place for our judgment. There's no place for it. All judgment dies at the cross. It's buried in the grave alongside of Jesus so that when he walked out of the grave, you and I would walk in newness of life and we would no longer look at the world through the eyes of the flesh, but that we would look at the world through the eyes of his spirit. Let us be a people. Let us be a people who are not defined by our judgment let us be a people who are defined and known by our mercy. 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 No one has come to Jesus because of our judgment. But thousands will come to Jesus because of a simple gesture of mercy. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we love you. We Thank you so much for the mercy that extended to us at the cross. God, understanding that my disposition, my natural fleshly disposition is judgment. And yet at the same time, understanding that you judged your son on the cross for me. There is no greater blessing. There is no greater truth than that. For it has the power to transform even the most hardened, judgmental heart into a heart of flesh that beckons us into a life where we extend mercy to those maybe who don't even deserve it. But recognizing that I didn't deserve it, when you gave your life for me, transforms everything. It transforms everything. God, may we be a church that's not known by our judgment, but that is known by our mercy. We love because you first loved us. So in the next few moments, I just want you to take the quietness of the moment, and I just want you to think back on your own life, where do you see judgment in your heart? Where does that show up in your life?
I want you to take that and I want you to place it at the foot of the cross. Place it at the foot of the cross and say, I'm done. I'm walking away. I recognize the mercy that has been given to me. Jesus, transform me. Transform me from the inside out that I might be able to love others as myself. That I may see people the way that you see them. Not as who they are, but as who they're becoming in you. And now I want you to suspend a couple of minutes and I want you to think about those in your sphere of influence, those who may not be a Christian. I want you to think about them. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray for yourself that you would refrain from judgment and that you would extend mercy to them, extend the grace that you have found in Christ to them. And I'll bet, I'll bet that it'll be that grace that says, man, this person is different than the rest of the world. I expected judgment and I was extended grace. May that be said of every one of us in this room. Father, we are desperately in need of you. We ask that you would come and you would transform our hearts. That God, as we link arms and we pursue holiness together, I pray that you would transform us from one degree of glory to the next. That each and every day we would look more and more like your son, Jesus. Understanding that that transformation comes not from us or our effort or our work but rather it comes from you and you alone. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.